0: Hosea chapter 10, verse 1, it reads as follows, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself, according to the multitude of the fruit he hath increased the altars, according to the goodness of the land they have made goodly images. Their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. He shall break down their altars. He shall spoil their images. For now they shall say, We have no king, because we have feared not the Lord. When then should a king do to us? They have spoken words swearing falsely and making a covenant, thus judgment springeth up as hemlock in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria shall fear because of the calves of Beth-Avon, for the people thereof shall mourn over it, and the priests thereof that rejoiced on it, for the glory thereof because it is departed from it shall also be carried unto Assyria for a present to King Jerob. Ephraim shall receive shame. Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel. As for Samaria, her king is cut off as a foam upon the water. The high places also of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall come up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, Fall on us. O Israel, thou hast sinned from the days of Gibeah. There they stood, the battle of Gibeah against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. It is my desire that I should chastise them, and the people shall be gathered against them when they shall bind themselves in their two furrows. And Ephraim, as an heifer, that is taught and loveth to tread out the corn, but I passed over upon her fair neck, I will make Ephraim to ride, Judah shall plow, and Jacob shall break the clods. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break upon your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Ye have plowed wickedness, ye have reaped iniquity, ye have eaten the fruit of lies, because thou thou didst trust in thy way and the multitude of thy mighty men. Therefore shall a tumult arise among the people, and all thy fortresses shall be spoiled. As Shalman spoiled Beth in the days of battle, the mother was dashed in pieces upon her children. So shall Bethel do unto you because of your great wickedness. In a, mor- in a morning shall the king of Israel be utterly cut off. Okay, let's pray before we look at these verses today. Dear God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that we have a chance to study the Bible, to learn from the Bible, to have the Bible be a part of our lives. Thank you for uh, giving us this Sunday morning also to worship you. And be with me now as I try to speak your word from the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Continue our look now in the book of Hosea. If you remember, we've been studying the prophetic prophetic teachings of Hosea. What was Hosea's message from God to the people of Israel? It started in chapter 4, and it's been going on and on and on. We're through chapter 10 now, and we're seeing a progression. Right? a logical progression in the way God is warning uh, the people of Israel, advising the people of Israel, and we're seeing the prophecy as to what's going to happen to the people of Israel. It started off in chapter 4, if you remember. Chapter 4 talked about how Israel sinned. This is what they've done wrong. It was an accusation. Chapter 5 talked about the coming judgment. This is what's coming, right? Bad stuff is coming to you guys. Chapter 6, call for repentance, right? You guys can repent. Repent of your sin. Which uh, in chapter 7, they reject it. They reject it. And we saw in chapter 8, they rejected it because they were too, uh, their hearts were too ingrained into their ways, right? That their heart was so set on the ways of sin, okay? Chapter 9, last time, we talked about the continuing judgment, the, the result, like the aftermath, right? The aftermath is that there'll be judgment. This is the judgment. And we saw how horrible the judgment was, right? And we read about it last time, about how, about how uh, they'll bring forth children to murder, right? They'll have a miscarrying womb. All these imagery that god gives the people of israel of how bad it's going to be that they did not choose to repent and all those things are kind of parallel to us when we talk about our rejection of repentance right when we nowadays right two thousand years later say we're going to reject uh god's repentance what is our consequence our consequence is a lake of fire our consequence is hell right and what more equivalent thing could it be than all these horrible things that god promised israel right so if you're thinking of the parallel stories you see how it makes sense that there has to be a severe judgment for not repenting of your sins in the same way there's a severe judgment for us when we don't repent from our sins right the lesson is the same whether it was in hosea's day in our day right we need to turn away from sin we need god for repentance right and we have jesus for repentance right we need jesus but they didn't turn back to god they did not turn back to jesus in those days so we continue on in chapter 10 and let's see what additional judgment talking about judgment god has here and some explanations for this judgment. I think that's what chapter 10 is about. And chapter 10 is a little bit about the reasoning behind his judgments. In chapter 10, it starts off talking about. How in verse one they have made goodly images; they've made godly images. I mean, they've made idols, right? Remember back in the beginning of the accusations, one of the things that they did, and probably one of the most serious things they did, is turn their back on God's, turn to idols, right? Worshiping other gods, worshiping idols, right? It says in verse two, their heart is divided. We talked about this before too, that the children of Israel still believed. In a sense that, hey, we're God's children, right? They felt by birthright, hey, we're still God's children, right? We're the Jews. But they certainly didn't act as if they were God's children. They acted and did whatever they want. They wanted to go worship other idols, which seems completely contradictory to being God's children. They went ahead and did that anyways, right? Their heart was divided, it said, right? You guys know this is the saying, right? When you're you're doing something half-hearted, right? When you're doing something half-hearted, we know what that means, right? It means that you're not giving a full effort into it, right? That, oh, your your spirit is not really into it. A half-hearted effort is a weak effort, a bad effort. Well, that's the way the children of Israel were approaching God, right? Their hearts divided. They can say, yes, I'm a child of God because my parents were, and my parents before them, and my grandparents, and so on and so forth. But they acted. You know, with no effort toward that, I might say that. But this is not how I live my life. I don't live my life as if I am truly a child of God, right? And you know, I mentioned this before. You know, for us parents, we always worry about that. Is that is that the legacy we have for our children? Hopefully, we can teach our children on their own that hey, it's not enough just to say that hey, I grew up in the church, right? My parents went to church. My parents are Christians. Of course, I'm a Christian. Well, we know that's not true because we have to have it in our own hearts. You can't have a half-hearted effort. There's no halfway Christian, right? You either are or you aren't, right? You're living the godly life, or you're not living the godly life. You have Jesus as your savior or you don't have Jesus as your savior, right? So of course we always have to teach, especially our own children, that might get the same, potentially have the same sense of entitlement that the children of Israel had at this point. We want to make sure that they don't have that sense of entitlement that yes, i'm just a child of god so it's automatic right i can now i can go do whatever i want no that's something that god spoke against and what's the result result verse three oh verse two, first, verse two we shall break down their altars and spoil their images right the idols that they built that they had so much love for remember we saw them in the previous chapters right how they melted down their gold for these idols right they'd be all broken down this is what's coming for them right What's coming for them also, verse 3, they'll have no king, right? They used to be an independent country. Israel would not be an independent country anymore. They'd have no more king, right? It says in verse 4, it would be as like hemlock. Hemlock is a poison, right? A poison in the furrows of the field, right? In their fields, they'd be growing poison, right? And so on, it talks about all the, uh, the ways that these Idol-worshipping Jews would be punished, right? In verse six, their idols be carried unto Assyria as a present for King Jerob, right? Their gold would be taken from them, given to other kings, right? In verse seven, in Samaria, the king would be cut off as a foam upon the water. If you go on the beach. You know what happens when the waves crash on the beach, right? The foam stays on the beach, right? And the rest of the water goes away. They'll be separated, right? In verse 8, the high places. And when you see the word high places in the Bible, what it's talking about is like altars to like different gods and stuff, right? A lot of the high place. That's where they put a lot of these idols, right? The high places. What does it say about the high places? Which God calls the sin of Israel in verse 8, right? They shall be destroyed, they shall be destroyed right thorn and thistle shall come upon these altars right and you know and so on and so forth talks about how this judgment is coming upon them you guys wanted idols you guys wanted all these things this is going to happen all the idols will be gone they'll be taken away no more and we know from history that all these things are true right we know that Israel did become a conquered country. That all their gold and riches and all those things were taken away to their conquerors, right? And that all those idols, the famous golden idols that they had built, the golden calves, the this, that, and the other thing, they're gone. Don't exist anymore. We don't have Nathan, the world traveler here with us, but I'm sure he'll tell you when he went to these places in the Middle East and stuff, did he see these altars to these... Gods of whatever that were not God of God, but these uh, random idols. Did he see those back then? I'm guessing he would say no. They don't exist anymore. If you go to museums and you see ancient art of the Middle East, do you see things like this is the golden calf, this is Baal? Not really. You don't really see those things. Why? All those were smashed away. And that's exactly what God predicted. Did he not? Did his prophecy come true? Yes, it did. That was the judgment that was coming to Israel. You guys are putting your faith in all these things, right? All these idols. And your faith is in something that's going to be smashed away. That's going to be gone. That's temporary. And God was right. They didn't put their faith in the everlasting God. put their faith in idols. So God comes up and let's look at the the last few verses here of this chapter and talks kind of about why how did they get into this mess and what's the way out of this mess so how did they get into this mess and what's the way out of it well to understand his analogy we got to talk a little about farming right he gives a little farming analogy this is verse 11 to 15 verse 11 to 15 where he talks about how Ephraim is a, a heifer a cow right starting to tread the corn right judah ephraim shall ride judah shall plow jacob shall break the clots so in verse 12 it talks about fallow ground fallow ground so i'm going to talk about a little bit of these farming terms here so we can better understand what god's talking about so if you guys aren't farmers, which most of you guys, I think, are not. And I'm not a farmer either, so if some of you guys come in and say, yes, I'm an expert farmer, Norman, all the stuff you're saying is wrong, you guys are probably right, because I don't understand all these things that well either, because I'm no farmer. But my understanding of this is that fallow ground fallow ground is ground that the farmer decides not to plant for a certain amount of time. You know, there's different reasons why farmers will leave a ground fallow sometimes they do it intentionally to let like the nutrients like we grow in the ground or whatever sometimes they does don't have time effort or energy to do it but the idea is that there's a ground here and they don't work on it and it sat there unworked on for a long amount of time so that's called fallow ground fallow ground so at some point the farmer will decide well, I need to start working on it again right use this ground make it productive so what they have to do, first of all, is they have to plow the ground. When you plow the ground, you have a cow or an animal pull the plow to break it up. Because the ground has lie fallow for so long, the ground is harder than the regular ground, right? The normal ground, which you've been growing stuff on, you've been fertilizing, you've been digging up, you've been planting you've been all that stuff, all that ground is looser because you've been working on it. This fallow ground, you haven't touched for a year, it, the, the, the dirt has gotten compacted. It's in, you know, walked on by animals. It's harder. That's why you have to plow this fallow ground, right? So that there can be, and the plow is like this thing that digs into the ground, that makes trenches. And when there's trenches in the ground, that's when you can put the seeds in. And that's called sowing the seeds, right? Planting the seeds. You plant the seeds. You water the seeds, right? And then eventually your crops grow. That's a, that's a theory of farming, as best I understand it, right? Hopefully I didn't say anything wrong. But it says here this. It says this. What does God want them to do? What does God want them to do? Verse 12. It says, we have to sow yourselves in righteousness, And if we do that, we do what? We reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. It is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Right. So he's saying this. The seed we got to plant, the seed is the seed of righteousness. Right. And if you plant righteousness, you reap what you sow. This is the famous saying, right? You reap what you sow. And uh, this is not just an Old Testament principle. We see it again. Paul talks about the same thing in the New Testament, in uh, the book of Galatians, I think it is, right? Where he says, you reap what you sow. What you plant is what you get, right? If I'm the farmer and I'm planting corn and I water my corn seeds and they grow up, eventually it turns into a corn plant, right? If I'm a farmer, I'm planting wheat, I water my wheat seeds, they grow up, it grows up to be a wheat It will never happen that I plant the corn and then I get watermelons, right? it doesn't work that way. What you plant is what you get. And what God is saying here is that righteousness begets righteousness, right? If your starting place is right with him, your end place is going to be right with him. And what else is there? Well, if we start off in the right place, what will God do, right? It says, it says this. It says, um, for our fallow ground, after we break it up, it says, the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Now, those of you guys who have plants or, you know, grass or whatever, like I have, I used to have grass in front of my house, right? One of the things you have to do is you have to water your grass, right? So every day before when I had a lawn that was actually a good lawn, I'd have to go and water it, spray water on it every single day. It was a tedious task, right? Take many minutes. To spray the water, spray, spray, spray. And what would happen is sometimes, as you know, sometimes it rains, right? And rain is the best day. Why is that? Because that's the day I don't have to water the grass. I can be lazy. Oh, God watered the grass for me. It came out of the sky rain. What does God say about here if we plant the right seeds? He's going to water it for us. He's going to rain righteousness upon us, right? We follow him, he will rain righteousness upon us, right? Rain, rain, rain. We don't have to water it. We go in the right path, he'll water us. But what did Israel do? What did Israel do? Verse 13. They plowed wickedness, right? And once you plow wickedness, you know the answer is not going to be they reaped righteousness, right? no. What did they reap? They reaped iniquity, right? They got the fruit of lies, it says in verse 13, right? And that's what happened, right? In verse 14, the more explicit, right? The more explicit the explanation about how there will be tumult among the people, right? Their fortresses will be spoiled, right? The mother dashed in pieces upon her children, <laughs> And, and, and verse 15, finally, in the morning, the king of Israel being utterly cut off. That's what Israel sowed back then, right? They planted all the seeds of unrighteousness, all the seeds of iniquity, all the seeds of wickedness. And that's a result. So again, this is the famous Bible principle, right? You reap what you sow. And I think this is one of the few things in the Bible I think many people can agree with, even non-Christians, right? Even non-Christians would agree with this principle, Right? That doesn't it make sense? Isn't this the way that justice should work, right? In that how justice should be, that those that do bad get a bad result. Those that do good should get a good result. Right? And many people, even though they don't believe in God, would would subscribe to this fact. Now, we know that we do have a God, a God of justice, a righteous God that does subscribe to this idea. He tells us in the Bible multiple times that this is his way. And we're lucky to have that. And we see it lived out. We see it all the time, right? We know that people that follow the wrong path, their path has a much higher percentage chance, right, of leading down the bad way, right? Just to use examples. Like I said, these are examples that even... uh, even uh, uh, non-Christians would believe in, right? They talk about you know, something that Melvin was talking about last week, was it last week or a couple weeks ago, when he talked about uh, stuff like AIDS or sexually transmitted diseases, right? If you follow God, if you follow the path of righteousness, if you adhere to the uh, sexual life that God has set forth in the Bible, what are your odds of getting AIDS or STDs and all this stuff? Your, odd is, your odds are close to zero, none right because how many partners do you have you have one partner you know that partner they'll tell you if they love you they'll tell you if you have stds you won't get it you'll never get it but what if you're like all these people that live like how Israel lived back then that says oh have sex whenever you want have as many partners as you want do this that and the other thing what are your odds of getting aids stds etc i tell you what it's exponentially higher than following the godly path is it not No one would deny that. Even the the biggest atheists in the world could not deny this fact, right? It's a law set forth by God in the Bible, right? You reap what you sow, right? And everyone would agree with that. Same thing with stuff like uh, alcohol, right? If you follow God's way, what are the odds that you get arrested for DUI? what are the odds that you get in a drunk driving car accident? If you're following God, if you have planted the seeds of righteousness in your heart and you live that way, the odds are zero. Right? If you're living the godly life, the odds are zero that you'll ever be arrested by some cop for DUI because you don't drink alcohol, right? Or the odds are zero you're going to get in a drunk driving car accident because you haven't drunk, drank before you drive. You don't subscribe to that, right? If you're like the rest of the world, you say, I do whatever I want, drink all the alcohol I want, drink it whenever I want, get as drunk as I want, your odds of getting arrested is exponentially higher, right? Your odds of getting a car accident, exponentially higher. Not even close, not even comparable. Talking about, you know, on the factors of millions and millions and millions of times higher, right? Because you're comparing zero, right, to a chance. So we see it. It's logical. It makes sense. So why did Israel still do it? They should know, right? You've yourself. Why is that? Because we've talked about this before we said this previously when we studied the book of Hosea and the answer is still the same why? because they gave in to their own desires right? that they took the temporary the temporary pleasure and they valued that more than anything because there is a temporary pleasure isn't it? just like all that stuff that I was just talking about a second ago right? you get that temporary pleasure when you're drinking that alcohol do you not? Doesn't it feel good? Oh, you're having a fun time, you're drinking alcohol, right? You don't think about down the road when the policeman arrests you for the DUI, right? Just like those people that want to go have fun and go have sex with everybody, right? You have that fun while you're doing it. You don't think down the road, oh, I'm going to get the STD or whatever, right? You don't think about that. That's how Israel was. You did not think about the long term, right? And ultimately... It's the long term that's most important. What is the most important thing? The most important reason why we ought to repent? It's not the short-term, you know, reason we have to repent or whatever. It's the long term. Why is that? Because we know one day we're gonna die. And when we die, there's God's judgment. When God's judgment comes, do we want to be able to say, oh, we haven't repented? We're not sorry. We don't have Jesus. Because what's the punishment for that? In the long term, in the long run, the worst punishment for all, everlasting condemnation in hell. You know, we think about it that way, right? That for all the, uh, you know, whatever people think about in, you know, especially these unsaved people, right? They think that they're living their life for the here and now, living for today, having a great time. They don't realize that there's life beyond this life. That ruining their present life ruins their future life too that their afterlife that their life forever could be cursed by not repenting by not turning to god by not turning to righteousness that was the real i think that's ultimately the real warning now we know this too we know this too that in the short run just like we gave the examples obviously in the short run you also you re-put you so in the short run right you can as the old saying goes live fast and die fast or whatever right on earth right and it's true for christians right that just because we have jesus in our heart and just because we have turned for repentance at one point doesn't mean that forever and ever god promises us that you know that's going to be all great he still judges us he's still a just god he still looks at our sin because we will still sin right he will still cast judgment on us he will continue to be our righteous and just god right but we have to continue to be faithful in our way to continue to follow the path of righteousness regardless because we know that's the right thing to do Now, a lot of people say this they say oh and there's and a the reason why they don't follow it, right? Maybe even Christians, they say, oh, you know, they say you reap what you sow. God, I've sowed the seeds of right to this for, for so long, and I don't feel like I'm reaping anything. I don't feel any benefit, right? What's my benefit? They, number one, they ignore the long-term benefit, right, of saying I have heaven later on, right? That's the first thing, right? But here's the other thing. Here's the other thing about reaping and sowing also, people that get frustrated, right? They say, God, I've lived my life like this, yet I feel my life is so horrible, so I give up on it, right? Here's the other thing you have to remember, again, going back to the farmers. When the farmer plants the corn, does the corn grow up? You plant the corn one day, you just go to sleep the next day and the corn grows immediately and you have corn to eat tomorrow? We know that's not true. It takes a long time, doesn't it? Right? You sow all the seeds, you water it, you fertilize it. It takes a long time. God's timing is not immediate, right? When you're saying you reap what you sow, it's not just, oh, well, God, I did good one day, and tomorrow there should be an immediate reward. God doesn't work like that, right? He looks at us and sees if we have the effort to put in the effort, just like the farmer does, right? To cultivate that seed that we've planted. To see if it's in the good ground, to see if it's gonna grow and and develop. So 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 is it in our lives, right? If we expect, if we go in with the expectation that God bless me immediately, right, you're not gonna get it. That's your heart is in the wrong place, right? Our heart has to be the heart of one that is dedicated to the life of righteousness. That's what God wants. That's all He wanted of Israel, right? He wanted Israel to live that way. They did it. He called them. He gave them a chance to repent and live that way. They did it. And they're going to get judgment. they have their country taken away from them. They're going to have their idols taken away from them. They're going to have everything taken away from them. Can we learn from this lesson? Can we learn from this lesson? We could sow all the seeds of wickedness we want and get all the short-term happiness we want, but in the end, in the long run, we get destruction. So may it be that in our lives, we make it so that we sow the seeds of righteousness. We fertilize the seeds of righteousness. We help the seeds of righteousness grow. God will rain righteous water upon us to help us grow, and that we grow better as Christians. All right, I think that's what chapter ten is. We'll go on to chapter eleven next time. But right now, let's end off the word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for uh, your word here in the Bible. You know, it's a familiar lesson, not a new lesson. Hopefully, that everybody knows this, that. You know we reap what we sow right when we sow wickedness we get wickedness god may you help us sow righteousness and let you rain down righteousness upon us that we know that what we have in you is a true blessing a great blessing we know ultimately in the long run the best blessing of all the blessing of heaven lord we thank you that we have you as a god to guide us on that right path and may we in our lives seek righteousness probably things in Jesus name amen all right